Jesus. Our God is worthy to be praised. That's what the song says. It says that um, even though we walk, we find ourselves in difficult situations like in a miry clay or dirt or mud, God is the one who removes us from this muddy situation. I believe that this is from the book of Psalms, chapter 40. The, the psalmist cried, God, you live. You are the one who has taken my feet from the miry clay and you have established it onto the rock, a solid rock. That's the foundation of our salvation. And I pray that he does the same to you this morning, wherever you are, or maybe at night, if you are in another part of the continent or of the world. Why don't we just pray? Father God, we thank you. For you understand very well how we got ourselves into this situation. Situations where we feel like we are stuck. We cannot move forward, backward, or sideways. We are stuck in the miry clay. You understand these situations, oh God. So, Father God, we lift up our hands to you. And we lift our voices to you. And we cry for help. Dear Lord, help us, oh God. Get us out of these sticky situations and help us establish a better future, a better lives for ourselves, oh God. It is only through your power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can get unstuck from the situations that we find ourselves in. So we glorify your mighty name and we thank you for your spirit that is with us and is going to guide us out of this situations. In Jesus' name, we pray trusting and we say amen. Well, we're glad that you could join us again this morning. We thank you that you found time that you can come and join us on our online service. Uh, for those of us who are physically with us, we thank you. We welcome you and we hope that we are all doing well. It doesn't matter what situation you are in this morning. Know that God truly understands. And he's the only one who can truly get you out of it. He saw you getting in this situation. And he can help us get out of this situation. So this morning, I would like us to continue with our series of how to build a better future for your life, how to build a better future for your life. Today, we're going to talk about making a plan to improve your life. God wants us to make a plan so that we can all improve our lives. So whether we like making plans or not, the truth is that it is impossible to build a better life without a plan. So in this message, we are going to learn how to design a plan that will help us to improve our lives. In the past few weeks, um, we've been talking about God's plan for his people after captivity. And we've read five books from the Old Testament. These five books were given to the children of Israelites, that whenever they could come out of captivity, 
they could, it could encourage them. There were letters that were supposed to encourage them so that they can continue with their life, build a better life for their future. So there is always life after captivity. And uh, we saw that uh, specifically that these books of instructions are the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, depending on where you are coming from. If you're a Kenyan, you'll say Malachi or Malachi. So these are the five books. And uh, in, the first, in the past few weeks also, we've learned some of the principles that we need to apply in our lives if we want to build a better life or a better future. So we saw some two principles in the, that I would like to talk about today or three principles that I would like to mention very quickly uh, this morning. The first principle is that we must get dissatisfied with your current situation. And uh, Minister Phil was here from New York and he, he, he taught about this, getting dissatisfied about your current situation. And he was talking about sometimes our current situation requires us to grieve. And he mentioned, and he said that uh, grieving is the only way that we can deal with grief. Most of us are grieving. You know, we are not the same way, the way we were a year ago. We entered into this pandemic with a lot of energy. I remember in 2019, I had a lot of energy. It was a great year for me. I had great plans. I had planned to go visit many countries, do startup businesses, startup ministry, and, uh, 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 you know, different kind of ministry in my village and in my city and things like that. And then lockdown came. And at first, we thought that it was just going to be okay. But as it continued, it kept on draining energy from us because we had to deal with situations that we have never dealt with in our entire life. It was a new thing, a new concept, something that we have never experienced in our entire life. And it was the same also with the children of Israel. Whenever they could be taken to captivity, it doesn't matter whether it was, you know, 70 years of captivity or the 400 years that they lived in Egypt, or how many years some, some of them were shortened. As we thank God that ours was only one year. It has been exactly about 14 months since this COVID-19 pandemic struck the world. So it doesn't matter how short it is or how long it is. They were not the same the way they used to be when they entered into that situation. So... What I'm trying to say is that cut yourself a slack. Have grace on yourself. Have some mercy upon yourself. Remember that you are not the same. You don't have the same energy you had before you entered into this traumatic situation. So what you need to do is to get dissatisfied with your current situation. Just say enough is enough. I must make a better future for my life. 
The second principle is that I must, or you must start with what needs changing inside of you. What do you need to change? Three weeks ago, I spoke about evaluating yourself, evaluating the situation that you are in. So, this morning, I would like us to examine our hearts, examine our dreams, examine our current situation, and even our future, and see what will it take for me to get there? What will it take for me to achieve my God-given dream? What will it take for me to start living that purpose-driven life, the purpose that God created me to live? Do you know that you have a purpose? Do you know that God created you with a specific purpose? So all of us have a purpose in life, and it is for us to evaluate ourselves and see what is that purpose. And some of, most of the time, I will speak for myself, I'm not that smart. I cannot, you know, come up with all these purpose, you know, and uh, just figure out what is the purpose for my life. I normally have to pray and rely to God. Maybe you're in this place and you're wondering, what is the purpose of my life? I'd like to encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal your God-given purpose in this life. God did not create you just to fill in space in your homes or in your village or in your church. He did not create you to fill up that seat that you love sitting on. But there is a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. Maybe you're in this place or you're listening to me and you're wondering, what is Pastor Frank talking about? But it all starts with opening up your life to Jesus Christ. So if you don't open your life to Jesus Christ, it will be very difficult for you to realize what is your purpose and what needs changing inside me. What do I need to change in my soul? Maybe it is to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Maybe it's to open up to him so that his spirit can fill you. Maybe it is just to open up to him so that he can fill you with his purpose and give you direction. So principle number three is what we're going to talk about. So if you have not listened to these messages, I would like to encourage you to go to Believers Fellowship uh, page on Facebook. Believers Fellowship Tabernacle Church Facebook page and like the page and also listen to some of these sermons, uh, that what we are talking about. Today, the third principle that I would like to talk about is write down a simple plan to get started. Write down a simple plan to get started. Why should I make plans? You know, many times, like in my culture, we have this thing that we normally say in Swahili that majaliwa yake mwenyezi mungu. Or inshallah. That means according to God's will. For those who are not understanding Swahili, according to God's will, let it be done. 
And um, we just live our lives according to God's will. It is okay. We must say that according to the will of God, whenever we plan. But it doesn't mean that we live everything totally for God in our lives for our future. God has a plan for our future. But why should I make plans? Number one, because God makes plans. We are created in the image of God. So why should I make plans? Because God makes plans. I'd like us to open our Bibles in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 11. The Bible says that I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So our God is a God of order. He makes plans. He sits down and he plans. And we are all created under his, according to his image. We look like our Father God. And we must act like our Father God. The Bible also says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33. I'm reading from the NIV translation. That God is not a God of disorder. So we cannot just live our life like random atoms, hoping that one thing, there will be a conglomeration of something, and then something will come to being. Like the scientists normally tell us that the world came into place after a big bang theory, like atoms just were floating in the air, and then they colluded, and then everything was formed. But we know very well that we are the people who believe in creation. The science that we believe in is that science of creation. Our God created. He sat down and he said, let us create. Let us make. And he was just creating and everything he created, he says, it was beautiful. When he was created the heavens and the earth, he looked at it. He separated the earth from the heavens. You see, that is design. And he created beautiful creatures. And after it, he saw that it was empty. And he felt like there needs to be someone taking charge of all of his creation. You see, that is planning. And he said, let us create man in our own image. So he designed us according to his own image. Do you know that you are designed after God's image? Do you know that you look like God? So you are not a mistake. Some of us might think that we are just an illusion. We are just existing. We don't have a purpose. We want just, you know, random thought. Or we're just a mistake from our parents. You know, somehow, some of us parents, we can make our children to think like they were a mistake. Some parents have gone ahead and even telling their children, do you know, I was not even planning to have you. You were an accident. And children grow up feeling like they 
were an accident. They were not planned for. But let me tell you what, even though sometimes our parents didn't plan for us, God already planned for us. God already commissioned us. He created us in heaven and he commissioned us to come. He just had to choose the parent that we were going to be born through. Point number two, because God tells me to plan. Why do I need to plan? God tells me to plan. The book of Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26, the Bible says that mark out a straight path for your feet or set a straight path for your feet and stick to the path and stay safe. So God is telling you to plan. I want to get from this point to the other point. How am I going to get there? Am I just going to follow the paths that everybody has created? Or am I going to sit down and look at the best path that my feet needs to follow so I can get there? See, that's what leadership is all about. Leaders, they create new paths. But followers, they follow the path that everybody has laid on them. And we don't ask, why was it made like this? We just follow it. We just follow it without even questioning whether the path is dangerous, whether the path is making us to complain. And sometimes you have a big field beside you where you can avoid, you know, all the dangers that you might be facing in that path that has been created for you. But because you don't plan, all you do, you will complain. You will complain about the path that has already been set there for you and not even try to go on the other side. We human beings, we are not trains. We are not designed to go on a rail. You know, trains are the ones who can say that, ah, he has to follow that path. Because that is the path that it was created for. We human beings, we have the ability to chart and create our own paths. I would like us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 40. NIV translation again. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So that is the spirit of God speaking to us. He's saying everything must be done in a fitting and in an orderly way. God does not thrive on chaos. I live in a culture where things seem to be very, very chaotic. And it has been proven, especially last year during the pandemic, and I believe that wherever you are, even in your countries, maybe you saw that, you know, how governments were trying to fight the pandemic, the COVID-19. Everybody was on their own. People are not coming together so that they can fight this thing and, uh, and flatten the curve like we were being told by the scientists to do. Some of us were told, wear masks. We were like, no, 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 we don't like masks. We don't believe in masks. Now people are being told to get vaccinated and some are saying, no, 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 we're not getting vaccinated. I had a report yesterday 
that one of the teachers who are working for us refused to get the vaccine because she believes that that is uh, it's an antichrist. Uh, it's the mark of the antichrist or uh, Illuminati, you know, those kind of things. Thank God that all of the teachers that I work with, all of them have been vaccinated except one. So, you know, we have all this chaos. Some are like, I'm from, for the vaccine. I'm not for the vaccine. And I'm, and I'm not condemning anyone. But I'm just talking about chaos. Chaos that I've experienced in the last one year. People are not coming together in unity. You can imagine what is happening. You know, in Kenya, if you are to come here and drive on our roads, like in places like Nairobi, all you can experience is chaos. People not sticking on their lines. People not, you know, cutting in front of everyone. People not obeying rules. Everything goes on the road. But I don't think that that is the will of God. That is not how we should live our lives. God wants us to live in an orderly way. Why should I make plans for my life? The third point. Why should I make plans for my way, uh, for my life, so that I don't waste my life. God does not want you to waste your life. The book of, uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, from verses 15 up to 17, that live life with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do, make the best use of your time. See, God wants you to account for every minute of your life. Every minute of your life matters. Don't be vague. But, you know, vague, you know what vague means. Vague means you don't have a goal, you don't have a vision, you don't have a plan. So God is saying, don't be vague. We've lost it. Don't be vague, but grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 up to 17. So God cares about your time. He really does. That is one of the most precious commodities that he has given us. And we know that money can buy everything. Some people think that the most precious commodity is wealth or money. Money can buy everything, but we, we all know that money cannot buy time. So time is precious. All of us, we have 168 hours in a week. So what do you do within this 168 hours in a week? That's what determines the difference between a successful person and an average person or a chaotic or a mediocre Person. God does not want us to be mediocre. Mediocre means being like lukewarm. That is the, the scriptural explanation of a mediocre person. The Bible says that uh, he doesn't like lukewarm Christians in the book of Revelation. Lukewarm Christians. These are mediocre people. People without a target. People without a plan. People without a vision. But he loves you. He wants you to have a plan. And that's what we're going to learn today. Today, we're going to read from the book of Nehemiah. 
is one of the five prophets that God used to write letters of encouragement to encourage the Israelites whenever they could go into captivity. I would like us to read the book of Nehemiah. I would like you to read this book at home, chapter 1, chapter 2 up to chapter 5. But today I'm just going to do a sum up of chapter 1 from 11 and the whole of chapter 2. Chapter 1 verses 11. So, we're going to see Nehemiah's secrets or Nehemiah's seven-step planning model. How did Nehemiah plan? Nehemiah was in captivity. And the Bible says that uh, he was working under the king. He was a smart guy. And he was a wine bearer. He was the guy who used to supply or fill the king's cup with wine. You might think that that is a very simple job, but it is not simple as such. For you to be able to be around the king, filling his cup with wine, you had to be trusted, a trusted person. You had to be like a bodyguard. You are a trained military person because the king is just surrounded by military people. In case of any danger or any plans of assassination, you are the people who are supposed to divert the threat. So he was not just a simple guy. He was the king's bodyguard, but he was well trusted by the king. But he was a slave. So the Bible tells us in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah kept on remembering about his hometown, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in ruins. After captivity, the king and his army destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, the temples and everything that was in Jerusalem. So the Bible tells us in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 11, Nehemiah cried to God. So number one thing, step number one, if you want to write a plan that will improve your life, let's copy it from Nehemiah. Like I said, we are not the same the way we entered into this pandemic. All of us, we feel like we have been depleted. We don't have the same zeal, the same vision, the same enthusiasm. So what do you do? Number one, pray and ask for God's favor. So step number one for planning for a better future is to pray. Write that down. Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 11, the Bible says that Nehemiah cried, O Lord, Please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of all your servants who love and honor you. Give your servant success today by granting him favor, pray for favor in the king's presence. In those days, I was the king's wine steward. 
That was his job. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 1 verses 5 in the Living Bible that if you want to know what God wants you to do, just ask him. You can write that down. James chapter 1 verses 5. If you want to know what God wants you to do, just pray. And he will gladly tell you, for he is always ready to give a generous supply of wisdom to all who ask him. You're saying, I don't know what my future is like. I don't know what I need to pray for my future. I don't know how to plan. The Bible says, step number one, pray and ask for God's favor. Then step number two, we're going to go very quickly because of time today, I hope. We might not be able to finish, but the world is not going to an end. We have next week. Yeah? Jesus, I know Jesus is coming, but we will we'll finish it one day. Amen? Step number two. Prepare for an opportunity and wait. So the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 that four months later, this is after Nehemiah prayed, four months after praying later, when king at Texas was dining, I took wine to him. Four months. You know, some of us pray and we just want, or we pray on Sunday and we want God to give us that favor on Monday. But we must be prepared to wait for an opportunity. We must be Christians who wait for an opportunity. So it took four months for Nehemiah to go in front of the king. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 13, verses 16, that a wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. Have you ever met someone who tells you that they don't plan, and they brag about it, they're happy about it, you look at their life, you see, that's what the Bible defines as foolishness. We are not fools. We are chosen. We are made in the image of God. So we must pray for wisdom. And we must think ahead of making our steps. That's why when we wake up or before we wake up, maybe the night before we wake up, we must sit down and write our to-do list for the next day. And not only for the next day, we must also plan we must also see ourselves. What are we planning to do in the next five months? Where do I see myself in the next six months? What, what do I see myself doing in the next year? What do I see myself doing in the next five years? What do I see myself doing in the next ten years? I told a colleague that we must sit down and make a ten-year plan. And then he, he asked me, are you the president. Because a president is the one who is supposed to make a 10-year manifesto. No. 
just as a simple person as you are, you must make plans. You will be alive. Don't let the politician to make plans for you. Make plans for your personal life. So if you don't plan and you just pray, that is just wishful thinking. You must prepare. See yourself. So Nehemiah had to pray and he had to plan, wait for the opportunity for four months. I wonder what was going through his head when I get that opportunity in four months' time. What will I tell the king? The king had declared, if you read in the book of Nehemiah, that he did not want to see the walls of Jerusalem being built by anyone. He said, no more building of the walls. I don't want to see that wall. That city has been captured. Let it stay in ruin. He himself, the king had declared. But Nehemiah was praying for a risky something. It was very risky. Our plans must be risky. Our plans must be big in that it only takes God to accomplish them. Many, mis uh, the, many of us make mistakes of making small plans. Many people, they make just little plans and then they accomplish it and then they get bored. They accomplish those plans very quickly. God is not interested with things that you can do for yourself. God is only interested to partner with you about the things that you cannot accomplish by yourself. The things that are so big. It takes God or else I'm dead. I remember myself as a young pastor. I used to pray this a lot when I'm planning every decision that I used to make. Every plan that I used to make. And I used to tell God, God, it, it, this plan takes you or I'm messed up. If it is not for you, if you don't come and intervene, I'm doomed. I'll be finished. I'll be gone. So God wants you to make plans that are so big, bigger than your dreams, bigger than your life. Plans that are larger than lives. Plants that are generational. I thank God for a bishop, who is also my dad, sitting under him, helps me to open up my eyes and see things from a different perspective. He is always seeing how can he uh, impact generations, after, even after he is gone, hundreds and hundreds of years from now. So when he calls me for a meeting, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, <laughs> how will this be accomplished? This is too big for me. You look at the budgets. You know, your plans must entail the budgets. What will it take to run this thing per month? Yesterday we were in a meeting and we were saying, what will it take to run this thing? per month, and we are saying it will take this much money. It's like, ah, that one we cannot get. Where will we get it? But I went home, and I was praying about it. I'm thinking about it, and God told me, if you do this, 
And this, you know, involves this many people. Involve maybe students and they pay for their tuition. You will have more than enough. And I saw, yeah, it is so easy when you break it down that way, God. But when we were planning, <laughs> it was so big. But that's how he is. He's, he's, he has always planned things that are bigger, larger than his life. He knows that he cannot accomplish it. And I'm so honored to be under his vision and to learn from him. So I'd like, I'd like you to ask in your life, what needs rebuilding or restoration in your life? What burden is God putting in your heart? Write it down. Think about it for the next week. So don't, don't be like a fool who doesn't plan and you brag about it. Bragging means yani kuringa. Au plan unaringa unasema mimi sijali. Mimi si kama wale wa kupanga panga mpangilio. Mimi naishi tu maisha vile Mungu ameileta. God atasema ti wewe ni fool. And that is not good. Yeah? Step number 3. Expect fear but don't let it stop you. Expect fear. Be afraid. When I make plans, like I told you, I get so much afraid. I cannot say that I, I'm that kind of person that is well-seasoned, that I don't even get afraid about it. Even standing here and talking to you, even when there is nobody, I'm just talking to the camera, that fear still comes and grips me because I don't know. You know, it is godly. It is okay not to know. It is okay. You know, you cannot be courageous if there is no fear. The main reason why God calls us to be courageous is because we have fear. We are afraid. I'm afraid. I cannot even accomplish it. God, I'm afraid. I cannot fly this plane and land it down safely. It is okay. It is through that fear. That's where that courage comes in. And you take off and land and thank God all the time. That's how, why there is that word, courage. Courage only comes when you know that you the fear exists. The Bible says in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 from verses 1 up to 2. That when the king was dining, I took the wine to him. He had never seen me look sad before. So he asked me, why are you sad? Your heart must be troubled, Nehemiah. That made me very afraid. In those days, to be sad before the king meant treason. Nobody was allowed to be sad. The king carefully chose people who could maintain happiness and smile all the time. You are not just chosen to be a king's 
cupbearer because you know to, how to make or to taste the best wine or to serve wine when it is needed. But you had to be a person who was bubbling, happy all the time. And you have, you just have, you have a great atmosphere around you. And all the people who are around the king were like that, his bodyguard. And the king's job was just to look at the countenance of everybody's face. You see, that's how you will know if there was somebody plotting, plotting somebody something bad. You know, if you are a king's bodyguard and you know a secret that somebody is plotting to overthrow the king, you will not be happy. You'll go to the king and you'll be very sad. So the only thing was for you to be killed if you wouldn't tell the king what is making you sad. Why are you sad? The king had never, the Bible says that the king had never seen Nehemiah sad before. It was the first time the king saw him. So what did Nehemiah do with his fear? And I would like to wind here and... Um, Next week, we'll continue with this. What do you do when you are afraid in times that you are making goals? You're making goals that need, you know, finances. That if it is not for God, <laughs> you are doomed. You are making plans that need a lot of time, like six months. Some of them need uh, a year. Or five years, uh, ten years, and you're wondering, God, do I have ten years? Do I have ten years? You're afraid. Or do I have ten million? You have a you you, you have a goal that needs ten million shillings to get your goal started. Some of us are thinking, Brother Frank, 10 million is small. Maybe you have a goal that needs 10 million a month to get you running. What do you do when you are afraid? So what did Nehemiah do? The Bible says that, number one, Nehemiah admitted his feelings. I'd like us to read in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 2. The Bible says that I was scared, but I replied. See, God, the, the king is asking him, why are you afraid? It's like, give me one reason why you should not chop your head off this morning, Mr. Nehemiah. I was scared, but I replied. Long live the king. Why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins. And all it takes have been burned down. So he admitted his feelings. And by admitting his feelings, he's risking. He's telling the king, I'm afraid because of the city that you ruined. You know, the king is the one who ruined uh, Jerusalem in Israel. And he, 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 
he passed on a decree. And he said that this city or the walls should never be built again. Never, 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 never on my watch. Should this city be built? So, he admitted. I would like you this week, the next time you find yourself frustrated in a conflict or feeling stuck on some thought, pause and reflect and name what you are feeling. After naming it, you can say it out loud or to somebody that you may be in conflict with. Ask God to help you to navigate why this situation is, is bringing these kind of feelings to you. Admit your feeling, for this is the beginning of your healing. When you admit exactly how you're feeling. Point number two. What did Nehemiah do with his fear? He prayed quickly before speaking. See, the king is asking me, what? Why are you afraid? So before speaking, the, in verse 4, the Bible says that the king replied to me, well, what is it that you want? Then I prayed again to God in heaven. I'm sure this time he did not go and pray for four months. He was just about to deliver that cup of wine to the king. So he didn't have time to pray for another four months. He prayed a lightning prayer, something that I normally call a lightning prayer. He just prayed, maybe, maybe it was just a simple word like this. He say, he told God, God help. You know, <laughs> just that word, four letter word. Help. Sometimes that's all you have to say. <laughs> yeah. It's good that we can pray for one hour. We can pray for six hours. But sometimes you can pray for a millisecond and God will hear. Just like Peter, when Peter was drowning, what did he say? Help. Did Jesus help him? Did Jesus tell him, no, 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 go back to your prayer closet and pray for an hour? No, Jesus came back and did what? Help him. Sometimes these short prayers that we pray are the prayers that normally deliver us from our situations. So, we are told that he prayed quickly, not slowly. He prayed quickly before speaking to the king. Point number four. Actually, I think we'll just leave it there because of time. I'd like you to join us next week, and uh, we shall look at three more principles on how to write a plan for our future. To write a plan that will help us to improve our lives. So this morning, maybe you, are, you feel afraid. You're in that situation. You're feeling like, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. God, you know, it's still like uh, how many days to the end of the month? About seven days up to the month end. And uh, I'm already broke. 
my fridge is dry. Like now if you have to, if you are to go into my fridge, you'll just find water. I just put water only. Because I don't know even where my next meal is going to come from. Maybe you're in that kind of situation. Maybe you're you are in an even worse situation. The doctor has given you a few days to live because of your situation. Maybe you have COVID. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you've been laid out of work with all these, you know, downsizing that is happening all over the world. Maybe you're like us. We have lost about 30% of our ministry support. The offerings are very low in the past year. In that we cannot even execute some of the ministry plans that we have. We don't have the finances to support our ministry. You are afraid. Today, you don't have to feel ashamed for being afraid. Know that God is in your corner. I would like you this week just to go at home and write down what is this thing that is making me afraid? What is this thing that is making me afraid? And mentioning, mention it to God. There is a song that we used to sing when we were young. We used to say that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because I know all my fears are gone. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Do you know that because you are in partnership with Jesus, you can make a plan for a better tomorrow. You can make a great plan for your future life. So don't just sit there and say that, Inshallah, majaliyo yake mwenyezi mungu. It is not bad to say that because the Bible says that we must say that in all of our plans. But we have to plan and then we say, Inshallah. We have to plan and then we say, majaliyo yake mwenyezi mungu. According to God's will, let it be done. Maybe you're in this place and you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ. I'd like to assure you that if you have never opened your life to Jesus Christ, why don't you open your life to Jesus Christ? He has a better plan for you. The Bible says that I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for a better future, a brighter life. Are you willing today to partner with the Lord Jesus Christ? Accept him in your life. And he's going to do amazing things for your life. It doesn't matter what lives may bring to your way. There is nothing that is impossible with God. With God, we shall overcome all the storms. With God, we are more than conquerors. With God, we are victors. We are victorious. So if you partner with Jesus today, sure thing that 
He's going to bless your life. He's going to bless your plans. He's going to open up your mind and your heart so that you can make great plans for Jesus. So before we bless you with this wonderful song, I'd like us to pray for those who would like to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Why don't you just bow down your heads and pray? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you created me according to your own image. And you have a great plan and a great purpose for my life. God, I pray this morning that you help me find that purpose for my life, oh God. I pray that you forgive me for everything that I've ever done wrong in my life. Wash with your precious blood, Jesus, and write my name in the book of life. I pray all this today, humbly believing that I will see you one day in heaven when my life is done here on earth. Amen. If you pray that prayer, know that your name has been written in the book of life, and you shall see